Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Just walk with your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is October 4th, 2016, and welcome you all to the chat room. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I've been doing the show since 2011, and there was a lot of time this year that I haven't done any shows. I am going to be doing some more shows coming up over the next few weeks with professionals who have created other things besides Alcoholics Anonymous. I spent a lot of time exposing AA on this uh, radio show as well as ripping apart the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and any other part of its literature and then interviewing people. And it dawned on me that um, the reason I decided to do the show last minute was about how many people are on Facebook now and not hiding behind a handle. If you don't know what a handle is, a handle is a fake name that you give yourself, like mine was Massive. Um, It started out as Massive Attack and then became Massive. But um, everybody was on stinking thinking and nobody used their real name and then the people went to Orange Papers and still nobody used their real name except... Anyway, that's the way it went. But there was a real shift this past year with people who were just tired of, uh, I don't I don't know what happened, but it just moved over. You know, I'll tell you what I think happened. A couple things was when the CBS 48 Hours was on, it they were on Facebook, and I, there were a lot of people that wanted to comment. And so many people went over there and that they were willing to talk, you know, out loud about it. And then there were things written up in the Tribune, in the Santa Clarita Tribune, and people wanted to post there. So I think there was more media. Gabriel Glaser wrote pieces on the Atlantic, and, you know, some people posted as who they were or whatever. Um, But but with that said, uh, the film, I'm I'm going to do a little plug for the film. So very excited. The film, The 13th Step, if you don't know about it and you're listening for the first time about that, is a film that I made, a documentary, that exposes the court-ordering of violent and sex offenders to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and mostly really dealing with violent offenders, but the sex offenders like to go there anyway, even if they're not court-ordered there because it's such easy pickings at AA meetings. Easier than a bar, I'd like to say, 
Um, so I have a few groups on Facebook. Um, one of them is deprogramming from AA or any other 12-step group. Hi there, Kevin. Uh, listening in, my, my dear, dear, sweet husband. Um, let's see. Uh, no to AA for a DUI is another group I started. That one is, uh, let's see, that one is completely, that's a public group. And I made it that way so people could find it. you got to be willing to just, you want to talk about how do you say no to AA. You might not even have been involved. You just might have been forced to go there. So what I thought this could be, it's a 45-minute show that I'm going to do today. Is I'm, I am going to take some calls. If you block your number, I'm not going to answer your call because of what happened last time. Is talk about where do we go from here. You know, I think I'm getting emails and People are contacting me and saying they're doing this. Actually, somebody is doing this in Canada. Uh, it's really, you know, it's unbelievable to think this is even going on in Canada. Um, that they're sending teenagers to AA meetings, like through through the court system there, and people are really taking it on their own. These are ex-AA members because we're taught so well, you know, to be little servants in AA, those of us that were involved um, we've learned how to do it, and so it's really great to see other people doing it. Uh, I'm just going to go through a bunch of different things. Um, we finally sent out the petition. Uh, we sent it to New York, uh, I think it was uh, two weeks ago. They've received it. I'm going to follow up with a phone call. Um, so there's another Facebook group called Leaving AA. Not quite as active. It's a community rather than a group. So it's just uh, I didn't know what I was doing when I started some of these Facebook groups. But um, the busiest one really is the one that is uh, the deprogramming group. And um, usually you have to be vetted, although we do get people who slip through the cracks and get in there. Uh, all right. So there's somebody in the queue. looks like that they want to talk. Um, hold on a second. And then we are going to take calls. So you either have a question or make a comment and um, we can do that talk. Um, but basically, um, realizing again that people are no longer willing to be anonymous, and why we are, you know, uh, why are pilots being sent there? Why are nurses? And you know, it's not just. I mean, I, I was like arguing with somebody the other day about it, and it's like, you know, well, they are not. Uh, they are being forced to go there against their will. Like it's not, I forget who it was. I think it was in person. Somebody was like, well, isn't that a good idea? And I was like, no, it's not a good idea. Like why do you think it's a great idea to force somebody to join any organization, to force you to go to, you know, uh, go to that place where, you, you know, Toastmasters. You're going to be forced to go there. You're going to be forced to go to yoga. I mean, and even, you know, Toastmasters and yoga would be a better thing than be forced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I said to this person who was, like, arguing that, you know, why was I upset that pilots and nurses and doctors are sent to Alcoholics Anonymous? I said, well, they're not treated like the average person, Joe Schmo, who, you know, wakes up and goes, oh, I want to quit drinking, I'm going to go to a meeting – they're like forced, and they're made to go to see psychiatrists who charge them $2,500 a session, and they're made to go to a stupid rehab and where they pay 30 to 50 grand for a month because they know that the pilots have money. And then they're made to jump sign these contracts. And if you you know you, you can read the contracts online, you know with these two-page contracts, and they give this power to sponsors who are nobody. They're fucking nobody. They're just like anybody, like, you know, who's there, and they're giving them this sense of power. And they have, 
like they're some kind of trained therapist. And and you know what? The, the part that's worse that they're not trained and uh is that some of them are really they're bullies. It's like their opinion. Um, people who sponsor a lot of people can become very uh, egotistical. And I mean, anyway, the list goes on. What's the next step? Like, what do we do? How do you become like the the gay uh, lesbian movement that started that made change? They changed it from that if you were gay, you were mentally ill, and you were arrested in bars at one time if you were gay. And so there was a great documentary, I think it was called Miami-Dade, um, about that area, um, and they came together. Now, it's not like they didn't have any infighting going on within the gay community as they were fighting the activists, but they were not sitting at home. And, well, I'm sure they were sitting at home and had meetings in their homes. You know, they had small groups of, you know, in, in their homes where before they went out into the street, but they went out into the street and they fought for you know, uh, the rights of, um, they, they, they went in front of the FDA and were screaming and, you know, uh, fighting for the drugs to be um, made available to people who were dying of AIDS. And so I think that if we look at, even though there might be fractured segments of anti-AIDS people, to look at what is the next step. Uh, the film is out on Amazon. It's free if you are on Amazon Prime. It's one ninety nine if you're not, I think to rent it, four ninety nine to buy it digitally there. And then if you want the and this is a fifty two minute cut. And then if you want the director's cut, which is sixty seven minutes, then you need to go to Vimeo. And there you can either rent or buy that version. It's a little more money, but you know, I think it's worth it. So, um the next step is uh sending the petition to Alcoholics Anonymous in New York, uh, following that up, um, sending it a few other places, and people are giving me all kinds of ideas, and I think that I'd like to make it available to someone who, uh, the other one is so disturbing, is that my son told me that um, the health class in his high school, in Culver City High School, that the health teachers are telling the kids that if they go to an AA meeting, it'll be 20% of their grade. Like, what are all the health teachers, like members of a 12-step program? Like, how dangerous is that? It's really messed up. I'm going to take a call, and um, and let's see who's on here. Hi, you're live. Can I have your name, please? Hello, Monica? Yes. Oh, this is Steve. I didn't know uh, that you were that you were um, putting me on. Oh, do you want me to, do you want to just listen? <laughs> no, I'll listen. Yeah, this is Steve Slate. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I just saw that you were doing this, so I, so I called in. Um, yeah, uh, tell us what's new. We want to tell us what's new? Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, well, you know what? I did a TEDx talk recently. Oh, and, you did? Um, I saw that. Yeah, okay, tell City. us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Tahoe City, I did a TEDx talk, and I said, basically, um, you know, addicts, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I hate the word, but, you know, we're just people that, at the time, uh, really like getting high or drunk. And then the world sort of teaches us that's not all right. And um, that's so bad. I mean, it couldn't even be your choice. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and then you've got a disease and 
all of this kind of stuff. And I got a really great reaction to it, and I put some of the stuff out there about the epidemiology, the fact that most people get over this without help. And um, you know how, like, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers come up to me afterwards and they say, I, you know, I can't believe I went to medical school. I didn't know that people get over this problem without help. And um, and then, you know, one of the social workers said to me, um, I was sending, and, you know, she was older and retired, and she's like, I was sending people to AA for years, and now that you mention it, they were coming out of there worse. They were getting worse after they went in there. So, so um, a lot of really great reaction from that. Um, wow. But as far as, um, you know, what you're talking about today, what, what is the, you know, sort of next step, and a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is just, and, and it's re- I think it's really apropos because you brought up uh, gays and, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I'm gay. <laughs> and, um, and, mm-hmm. and I know all about what you're talking about. I've read all the history about that, about the gay movement. And, um, and they, they actually stormed uh, these APA meetings and stuff in the 70s. And they took the mic and said, uh, we're not sick. Stop trying to cure us, you know. Mm. And mm. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that's really wonderful. They, they were just saying, you know, gay is all right. It's how we want to be. Um, I, I don't mm. think the analogy goes across all the way because, you know, uh, you know, I mean, just wanting to get high is a different thing. But um, yeah. I think that procre- proclaiming proudly that, um, hey, I liked to get high, I liked to get drunk, or I like to do it now, whatever it is. And just saying it's all right for me to like that and to do what makes me happy, I, I feel like that's maybe a thing a lot of people need to stand up and do. What do you think? Well, I think it's totally like, uh, you know, a different place that I'm thinking about right now but oh, I like the idea of storming. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I think it's fine. I think that you are somebody that I'm glad called in because of, you know, sort of the heroin uh, media, you know, frenzy that we're getting. And I know your history. And when I met you, there was none of this going on in, the, um, in our media. And you had, you know, you had experience with that particular drug. But I, let's go back yeah. to it. So how do I feel about it? Yeah, I think that um, if people say, yeah, I like getting... Hi, uh, I, I don't really know. I do think, though, that it's, <laughs> it's not like the way that they've made it into, you know, in our culture. Like, it's not just AA people. Our whole culture is brainwashed, even, as you know. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to take, like, I just posted your TEDx right here in the text, and I'm going to listen to it. Please, whenever you do anything like this, you know, just come in and put it on my Facebook page or, or email it to me because I just be bold, you know, Promote yourself boldly to me because you know how much I love you and I appreciate every word that you said in my movie <laughs> because we didn't oh, cut any you. of you out. There's nothing we cut out for the shorter version of you. Um, but I think that the, the activism thing, so what's the, what was the APA? What did they storm? What did that stand for? Oh, that would have been the American Psychiatric Association. I forget. There's a there was a few incidences of this. I was reading it 
uh, I think in a book called Medicalization and Deviant uh, or The Right to be Different, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stories about, you know, the early part of that movement, sort of right at that time when they, when they eventually had to take it out of the DSM. It was mm-hmm. because all of these gay activists basically, you know, came out of the closet. And I think, um, yeah. you know, it's yeah. sort of the, the same thing uh, with saying, you know, like, stop stigmatizing us, stop, uh, you know, mm. telling us we're wrong for what we want. Now, you know, I mean, it's obviously if, you know, drinking or drugging is causing a ton of problems and you want to change it, that's one thing. Right, um, right. But right. I feel like we, we, they put us in a corner where we have to make excuses for it, you know, and they say, um, you know, they just look at you like you're a monster, uh, just for simply getting high. You know, you don't know how many kids you end up seeing in rehab. Well, you do. You've been in AA. You've probably seen the show up at AA. A kid gets caught smoking a joint, and it's like, that's the end of the world. You're an addict. Yeah. You need to go get help. And yeah. it's like mm-hmm. blowing this, like this sort of meaningless thing out of proportion and giving it all this darkness, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, uh, do you watch Shameless? I haven't been watching it lately, but I did in the past. I love it. Okay, so they just, you know, they had the uh, first episode that was on. And, the one, I mean, I, I love the show. It's one of my favorite shows. Kevin and I just adore it. Um, but the thing that, because they don't like AA, yet, you know, it's like the meme of the culture, so they deal with it, you know, and Lip, which is ridiculous that he goes to rehab. And all that happens with Lip, which is Fiona's younger mm-hmm. brother, right, the one that's really smart yeah. and going yeah. to college, is he had this sort of meltdown where he starts to drink and, you know, he's getting drunk and acting out and stuff like this. But he's like the last fucking kid in the family who is dependent on alcohol or an alcoholic. And the guy who's the drunk, you know, who was the SAG president, you know, plays his friend, his buddy, you know, the professor, who's a kind of a loser drunk, you know, brings him to this rehab. And Lip comes out. I mean, it's a really great episode that that just aired the opening season of season seven. Oh, I need to see it. Yeah, you got to see it. And he says some great things that is absolutely you do not learn in most rehabs. You might learn it in St. Jude's or, you know, at Practical Recovery or at Alternatives. But he comes out and – but the thing that was so upsetting to me is that it's like he really wasn't one. And so it, what you're saying is so true that even some kid – who like if you're in Ohio and you get caught with just a pipe that has residual pot in it, you know, you get sent to AA meetings and then the kids yeah. are like are, are devastated and they're like, or parents who find it's just so bad. And it, it's like, I mean, uh, I just, I agree. You say, well, like, I like getting, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, one of the things that I talked about in my talk was that um, we actually incentivize people to believe themselves powerless, right? Because think of everything that rides on conforming at rehab. Uh, You know, so often when people go to rehab, it's because they've been arrested or they've been, you know, you know, the family has sent them there. They're in some kind of trouble, right? And if you don't say, I'm powerless. You know, most, you know, most people go in and they say, um, 
I can stop whenever I want. I think that that's true, first of all, Mm -hmm. but we mock that. And if you were to say that in a rehab, you'll find out really fast that it doesn't fly, and then you're you're (laughs) going to be told that you're in denial, right? And now you're not going to get a good report to your probation officer, to your parents, to the Child Protective Services, right? All this stuff is riding on you conforming to their belief system that says, I can't control myself. You have to start talking that talk, right? Um, right. To get the good report. And then the thing that happens, though, is once you start talking it enough, you start believing it. And I, you know, so, I mean, I don't know what the solution to this is, but I just trying to make people aware of it. I don't think they know um, that you go in and um, every, everything that we have set up to help people is actually just convincing them that they're helpless, you know, mm-hmm. and it incentivizes it. Because if, if you say, you know what, I, I, I liked getting high and, you know, I'm sorry that I've caused trouble with it, but I can stop and I'm not going to do it again. That's not good enough. You know, they yeah. say, no, no, you can't stop. You know, so it's, I don't know. I just try to make people aware, aware, aware of this. And when I do, sometimes they, people are like, oh, my God, I never thought of it that way. And, and I think people are, you know, just sort of waking up to it. And so, you know, maybe just, I don't know, more awareness at this point. Of, of the fact of those processes and how that works. Well, when you think about it, we met in 2012, right, in the summer. It's like four years ago now. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's delays or whatever and, and stuff. But do you, I mean, do you see a, a tide turning, people coming to you for an alternative treatment to AA? Seen a, yeah, well, know? the thing that we've seen at St. Jude's over the years is, you know, something like, 80 or 90 percent of the people that came to us 10, 15 years ago had already been to AA, they'd already been to rehab, and, you know, oftentimes many rehabs, you know, dozens, that's, that was our specialty, it was people who'd been to a bunch of rehabs because they would go looking for, well, what is something else? And we were one of the only things that they would find. Well, nowadays, um, it's down to about, of the people that come to us have already been to other rehabs in AA, and you have a much larger group of people that are saying, you know what, I don't even want to go there to begin with. They're Mm. from from their first shot at trying to get some help. We're seeing that more people are looking for a a place with our kind of philosophy. So, you know, I don't that's know good. how reflective that is. You know, that's one particular group that is willing mm-hmm. to self-pay and all this and that. But it's it's a shift. It's a clear shift. How long do people stay at St. Jude's? Four or six weeks. Uh, oh, well, it's a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I still think, you know, I was talking to Claudia Christian, uh, who made One Little Pill. You're familiar with Claudia? Yeah. In her work, yeah. And so we had lunch um, a couple weeks ago, and you know, she, yeah. I mean, it's we both. I, I would like to see a clinic, you know, like really affordable clinics that are people would come just the first week, for you know. I mean, maybe the paradigm is similar to alternatives, but I don't think there should be any drug testing. 
You know what I mean? It's like this uh, that whole monitoring. I mean, to me, it's just like oh, oh yeah. You know what I mean? The people come, and then or you could people have just come and get a shot of Vivitrol. They would come and get their naltrexone. They could come see a, a, a counselor like yourself, right? Um, they could see everybody would be trained, and you'd have PhDs, and you would have, but it would be, and you would have meetings. Like this is my dream. You <laughs> see that this could happen uh-huh. someday. You would have smart meetings and moderation meetings and harm reduction, uh-huh. and then you it, then it would not be this thing that's so permeated everywhere, uh, although I think that once, the, the thing with Betty Ford coming to L.A., and I don't think it's doing mm-hmm. so well, and, you know, Hazleton put a lot of money into this place that um, I heard they invited, like, smart meetings, and they're, you know, considering, or maybe they're already using naltrexone or offering it, but how can you do that if you're saying it's abstinence, right? You're supposed to take it and drink an hour later. Yeah. But, but the point being, that's not really my point, so I'll go back. <laughs> the point was that I think that it's failing, like that there's too much on the Internet. It's like Scientology. Like they got away with it for so long because nobody could speak out. And then, you know, yeah. you have Going Clear, and then you have Leah Remini's book, which was amazing book. But that it's, it's, it's a never-ending pounding. And I, But I do think that strategy and some group working together – where at least it's professionals, right? Say, you know, Claudia and I got together and then I want to have a group of mm-hmm. us that even, you know, where, what did they do that, that made such big change? And they, they fucking, I always say this, gay people know what to do. They get shit done. You know, <laughs> they do not just like sit around and smoke cigarettes and drink beer and get fat on the beach. You know, they like get shit done. And I said that maybe I should like go to the head leaders of today, you know, and line myself and say, you know, we need to learn from you. Like this is bad stuff that's going on, <laughs> and I want yeah. to change it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think so far everybody in this movement thanks to the internet um, and just visibility has definitely opened a lot of people's eyes where they're knowing, you know, like I said, sort of, oh, I, I really don't want to go that 12-step way. Now, mm-hmm. then the, the funny thing that happens, though, is all the rehabs have caught on to this, and a lot of them say, we're not a 12-step rehab. We, do, we don't even have 12-step meetings. You know, we don't do any of that. And then what right. happens <laughs> is you go there, and now they put you in a bus. They, they, whereas, like, they used to host the 12-step meetings in the place. They now right. have an optional 12-step meeting at night, and it's optional, but it's like, you better go. And then they take you in a bus off-site, and then they're able to claim, we're not a 12-step rehab. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. Oh, it's, my God. It's kind of hilarious. But, but I don't, you know... Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not an organizer, so I don't know. <laughs> I know you're. you're well, I'll, I'll have my my ideas, and I think I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna. I'm reading a book about an activist and what she did, and uh, you know, I think that I do have to, you know, get out of the house and step beyond the, you know, the computer and um and go out yeah. to the world to speak to. You know, at colleges, I guess, you know, think about going to colleges and go to the, where um, yeah. the journalists are learning to become, you know, the Annenberg School of Journalism and maybe go to the medical schools and say, I'd like to speak to you about addiction. And I, I made a film, and how can I do that? And start right here. Go to Santa Monica College. You know, it's just sort of coming to me today as I was, you know, doing my I think my that's errands. a wonderful idea. 
Yeah. Yeah. In in person. Do, like, just get out. Yeah. In person. Go out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In person, doing talks. I've actually thought of setting up some talks like that here in New York, but I just I've been super busy with work, so I haven't done it. But you know, just setting up free talks. I don't know, just for the public, that you could do it in a city like New York or L.A. If you publicize it, you might get people to show up. If you yeah. know somebody in a college, though, yeah, I think that's really good, too, because then you're getting through to the, you know, the future intellectuals, right? So Yes, yes, we're in front of, uh, like, people who are studying to be therapists, people who are studying yeah. to get their Ph.D. and you know, to become therapists, you know, people who are already therapists are all brainwashed, you know, like my great yeah. therapist, she told me that, you know, yeah, 30 years ago, they said, oh, yeah, you have to tell them all they have to be sober a year before you work with them. That's what they all were telling everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got I got thrown out from a therapist uh, because I needed to deal with my addiction first. Yeah. That's, and that was in maybe 1999, something like that. He, he wouldn't see me after he's. Oh, you've got an addiction. I can't. You need to be dealing with that. Well, well, let's do a talk then. Okay, we'll figure. And I supposedly got into the Real Recovery Film Festival in North Hollywood. Um, I'll tell you about that if you know. Supposedly that's going to happen. Then I leave for Germany that night to go to the Berlin Film Festival. But yeah, think about Uh it because I would. It'd be really fun, I think, to do. if we had, especially when you have somebody like you, like you cover the drug base and I cover the alcohol base, <laughs> somebody can say, fun. "Well, you don't know what you're talking about," and then you say, "Oh yeah, Stephen does. Stephen, you can talk now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, good. Know, people were shocked when I gave the talk and I said I used heroin because I liked it. <laughs> but they're not used to people saying something. You know, I also talked about the fact that my Heroin use was intermittent for the three years I used on and off uh, before I went to rehab. Went yeah. to withdrawal a ton of times, you know, and and like it was as soon as I got out of rehab, I started using like four times as much heroin. I started shooting up. Uh, I couldn't withstand withdrawal whenever I went through it because, and you know, of course, I'd been in there with all these guys that were in the forties and fifties, and they're all telling me, you better, you know, you better realize right now you've got a disease and uh, you're powerless. Don't end up like us. But, you know, these are guys that have been in rehabs for 20 years. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, like, by doing, by doing what they were saying, I started to end up like them. You know, I started to believe their hype and I got out and I got worse. Um, I think, you know, there's not people... I think people have to be out there owning it. That's my main point. I like you know, that. I, I like that idea. And I think um, was, uh, we had a bunch of shows, not we, but I mean, there were a bunch of shows on whether it was CNN or the news about heroin that I, you know, I, I, I sucked it up and watched them just to see how, you know, bad mm-hmm. it was going to be. And so, you know, I watched them and I think that part of uh, the problem with the storytelling of the history of it is, is bullshit because even Gabriel did the, the research, and so did Johan Hari, that, you know, it was middle-class white women, right, at the turn of this last yeah. century. It wasn't poor yeah. people. It wasn't poor black people. Okay, the Chinese were doing opium and, you know, the whole thing of what was going on. But it was 
middle class white people. It wasn't like, it, and the way they framed the story, I think it was a CNN piece or maybe it was even mm-hmm. Frontline or 60 Minutes, one of these shows. And it was like, yeah. no, yeah. like that is not, this whole, I was, you know, in the black neighborhoods and, you know, we go back to the Denzel Washington movie with heroin in the 70s and stuff and before yeah. the Vietnam War. And, you know, why don't you tell the whole story? You know, tell about yeah. it. it was doctors were all using, you know, opiates, and it was legal. You know, bare aspirin, uh, you know, sold yeah, it. They, and, made, um, they invented heroin <laughs> and sold it as a cure for morphine addiction. <laughs> and they said, it's, you know, that's, that's a whole incredibly funny thread of things, which is that, um, you know, they came up with, um, they came up with morphine, <clears throat> and they thought morphine would cure opium addiction. And then, and they said morphine is not addictive. <laughs> and then they came up with heroin to cure morphine addiction. And they said heroin's not addictive. They came up with methadone to cure heroin addiction. <laughs> methadone's not addictive. It's just like over and over again. And the actual, you know, the real history of the whole thing is that opiate um, alcohol appears historically at like seven or eight thousand BC when you find the earliest remnants of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Opiates have been around since 4500 BC. So for thousands of years, for you know over 5,000 years, um, opiates were used uneventfully. <clears throat> they were one of the only medicines, effective medicines in the world, where people would die of coughs and things like that. Um, opiates would uh, would suppress those coughs. They were kind of the only painkiller. Um, mm-hmm. All the pictures that you see of the Chinese peasants uh, that were supposedly strung out on opium, they were dying of, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, it's cholera, different things. They mm-hmm. were poor and dying of horrible diseases, and they were using opium to relieve those symptoms. Um, there's this big idea that, you know, they, they got all hooked on this stuff but and, and that it made them into these emaciated you, know, you see all these pictures. It turns yep. out a lot of that was propaganda by the Chinese uh, government fighting with England. Um, those people were, in fact, already dying. They were already emaciated. They were turning to opiates for comfort. But anyways, these drugs were around for thousands of years. And there was a time in England where um, coffee, England and in some parts of Europe, coffee, was more demonized and people were more scared of coffee than opium. <laughs> and you could go in and you could buy opium in shops and eat it. And if you, if you would go to the pub with your kids uh, while you were drinking alcohol, they made a drink laced with opium for the kids. Um, well, and, you know, people used it, you know, rather, you know, uneventfully. It's not until the past couple hundred years that people started to freak out about it. And like you said, you point to Johan Hari. You know, part of his story that he's telling is like, look, a lot of the reason behind the drug freakouts and saying like these people here are are addicts was a lot of racism involved. You know, we know that that you know, it's a lot of ugly stuff about cocaine where they were saying, oh, it you know, it makes black men into these super killers and everything. And like, right? You've heard all of that. Right, right. I read it, that book. It, it, was it was stemming good. out of racism, you know, yeah. like a lot of the drug scares um, and a whole bunch of political stuff. Um, 
but you know, with opium, there in in uh, India, there were people that ate opium all the time, and the English leaders who led them, in, you know, into wars and stuff, said that like, hey, they just stopped eating it when they went off to war with no problem. You know, because they they looked at it like a coffee or something. They saw it as just a normal thing. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm going off on like a tangent no, no, about okay. history, but I want to say these things are not as big a deal as they make them out to be. They're dangerous for sure. I mean, you can overdose and all that. But, but uh, you know, the idea that everybody's going to get hooked and that they can't stop. People have been stopping these things without treatment, without AA, thousands of years right right well thank you for calling in and listening and i'll put you back on should i put you back on hold here i think i can hit a yeah. button you had to do thank it okay you. all right steven well i posted i'll listen to your ted talk good talking with you okay that was right. steven bye. slate bye and you can go to the clean the clean slate um for his if you want to um Listen to his TED Talks, you go to the clean slate. I think I did that right. Yeah, I did it right. Okay. So if anyone else wants to call in, we have seven minutes uh, to 818-475-9211. We went off on a big tangent about opiates and stuff, which was my fault. I started you on that, Stephen, but it's okay. Uh, I, I did, you know, get something out of it, is that it may take some... Um, you know, really serious activism to change what's going on, as well as interesting idea to just say, look, um, not demonizing it, but saying I'm not in recovery at all. I mean, that whole thing was manufactured by AA people and people who got into policy and people who worked at the, was it the NI, NI National Institute of Alcohol and Drug Dependency, which is what Ruth Fox started and Marty Mann. And, no, not Ruth Fox, I'm sorry, Marty Mann, which was just a way for her to promote Alcoholics Anonymous shamelessly without breaking their precious traditions. Now, before we... Um, I want to I read you something. So I, I was writing a letter, and this was dealing with a letter for activism for myself. To, I mean, sending it off to um, somewhere. We'll leave out where where it was going. But one of the things that uh happens when hold on, I gotta find this here. Um when sometimes blogging or writing and uh is that things come to you that just won't come in conversation. I guess that's the great thing about writing um and blogging is that you get that I hate to say it, the aha moment, but that you go, Oh wow. Um like I, it's like when my sons would come out as I was making the film and they would say things that never left me, that they were really good comebacks to things that people would say to me who were defending AA. But here's something that came out as I was writing this uh, this letter, was that um, the whole part about AA saying that it's not culpable in New York, that it's not responsible and I say that because a woman recently wrote them a letter out of Canada 
um, about a pedophile uh, who was um, acting uh, badly in a meeting, and she wrote to them about, you know, what should they do, and, you know, things need to be done, and they said, we don't tell our members how to act, basically. She I mean, she sent me the letter that she wrote to them and the response, and, and so she's beginning her own activism work. She was in AA a long time, too. But here's, um, let me see what it says here. Um, okay. Uh you have a responsibility to keep your members safe. I saw that memo stating that AA in New York doesn't tell their members how to act. If we looked at all of your AA-approved literature, it is filled with the New York AA General Service and World Service AA telling members how to talk to your doctors, how to talk to your teens, how to get a sponsor, how to bring prisoners to AA, meeting, AA meetings. But nowhere do you talk about sexual harassment and how in the United States this is against the law when it happens in the workplace. And when you are in service in AA, then you are now working for that nonprofit. So AA, the nonprofit, needs to implement sexual harassment policies and safety measures as if you were the Boy Scouts or the church. Um, it's people, uh, and, and here's the other part, was about, um, let me see, um, pilots and doctors and nurses are forced to go to AA for three to five years, something that most normal members would never tolerate. How is it that in America these professionals are made to join an organization against their will? It's called extortion, and it's illegal. Um, we found out that judges were on the AA board and they were or ordering citizens to attend, which is a conflict of interest. Um, I have many problems with AA. After many years of loving it, I never felt AA saved me. I saved me. I quit drinking on my own, and I thought AA was a fellowship, but what is AA now really? A place where courts dump every DUI case, every violent and sex offender, and then I, you know, go on to say the part about that if you're forced there, um, board members have a responsibility to keep the members safe. So, uh, anyway, if anybody's out there, we've got a few more minutes, we could take a call. It's at 818-475-9211 if you want to call in. Uh, if not... Um, you know, folks, I have to say that uh, it's really exciting to see a lot of people who've left uh, after a short time, medium time, long time, leaving and um, getting deprogrammed. So I, I encourage you, if you want to join the deprogramming group, um, you can ask and uh, you know we'll let you in unless you have a really, really horrible picture on Facebook where you look like you're a a madman, then I won't let you in, but um, or a mad woman. Then <laughs> uh, I think that if we reach out to however way you want to do it, if you do, and if you would like to show them the movie and get literature from us, you can always contact me at makeaasafer at gmail dot com. And then after we, you know, have a talk, uh, we can see if you know we could send you a film, and you could um, put on a screening for your professionals in your area or give the film to a health teacher at a high school or maybe you want to give it to uh, your doctor or you want to give it to your therapist. Uh, but we're gonna, I'm going to really try to branch out and get out there and show this film. And, and now that it's on Amazon, I think Amazon Prime has two or three million um, members on Amazon Prime. It's free. And 
And I look forward to having, um, you know, many more Blog Talk radio shows. Like I said, I'm looking forward to having the uh, founder of Smart Recovery on soon. Um, I'll be setting that up and more professionals to talk about the other options like Stephen Slade or Adi Jaffe and Dr. Kern or Tom Horvath, uh, people who have created other ways besides Alcoholics Anonymous. So I want to thank you all for joining me. Thank you, Stephen Slate, for calling in. Thank you, Kevin, for listening. Thank you, Scott, for listening in. And, uh, yeah, I want to thank you all. This is Monica Richardson on Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. And I will be back either next week or the week after for another new live show. Again, thank you. Take care. And I'll see you next week. And see you on Facebook. See you on the blogs. Take care. Bye-bye.